0: This episode is presented by Fleet Feet. So when I was very young, maybe five or six years old, my father gave me the nickname powdered feet, which comes from the Haitian Creole saying, that describes somebody who's so active, you never see them, just the footprints of where they've been in powder. And my father wondered whether it'd be a destructive tendency, but he saw in me um, that there was something special, right? Like I was always standing up to volunteer, wanted to participate, was in the multiple activities. And as I've grown older, I've lived up to that name, and those feet also have been blazing a trail for other people, which is a beautiful addition to the metaphor. My name is Alison Mariella Desir, and this is Out and Back, a podcast exploring how Black, Indigenous, and other people of color are reclaiming space in the outdoors. I'm a runner, an activist, a mother and an author, a lover of the outdoors, and a student of history. And now I'm adding two more titles. I'm the host of this new podcast from Crosscut and a video series with the same name that airs on KCTS 9, Seattle's PBS station. In each episode of the video series and this companion podcast, I'll be deconstructing historic and modern ideas about who belongs and deserves to be in the outdoors. I'll be introducing you to black and brown people in the Pacific Northwest who are getting outside and encouraging others to get outside with them. You'll hear their stories and I'll get outside with them in their elements, some of which admittedly aren't my element. My father told me at a young age that history is told from the perspective of the winners. History is one thing, the truth is another. And the truth is, though the outdoors don't always feel welcoming to everyone because of past and present exclusion and trauma, getting outside can be life-changing. But before we get into conversations and adventures with other people in the PNW, we're going to my house, where I'm gonna tell you my own story of reclaiming the outdoors. Interviewing me is my husband, Amir Mohamed Figueroa. This will be interesting. If you want to see my guests and my adventures, follow the link in the show notes or go to crosscut.com video. So the tables have turned. You are interviewing me today.
1: That is correct. Are you ready? I'm ready.
0: All right, what, what do you got for me? I've
1: got some questions here. <laughs>
0: Let's not have this go on forever. <laughs> Ask me the question.
1: Okay. So, tell me about your experience growing up and your relationship to the outdoors.
0: I would say I was very much in the outdoors, but I didn't think of it that way, right? Like I didn't think of myself as an outdoor person. I didn't necessarily relate to um, marketing that talked about outdoor people because the outdoors seemed like it was camping and hiking and epic adventure and white right and um, my experiences were none of those things so it wasn't until like my 20s that i really started to consider the outdoors and spending time in nature and seeing whether i could be part of that the outdoors is literally walking outside right that's the outdoors right? right
1: Well, I mean, when you think about people in, in like in Harlem in general, like people will literally pull out like chairs in front of their buildings.
0: Yeah. And people hang have out picnics and barbecues all the time on the street. <laughs> and yeah. that I mean, and that is that's like one form of the outdoors, but it's just this certain image of who it's for and who belongs that we never really felt connected to. Yeah, totally. Which is part of why we moved, right?
1: Exactly. So. Yeah, can you, let me.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Served it up on a platter for you.
1: (laughs) The one question we always get a lot is like, why'd we leave Harlem Mm. and why we choose the Pacific Northwest? So um, anything you want to like share?
0: Yeah, you know, I actually, I heard this phrase recently that I wasn't aware of, but it's called environmental migration. And the person told me that their parents had actually moved from New York to um, Seattle for a better life, for better living conditions. And when I think about it, that's exactly what we did, right? Like, we had this beautiful apartment in the Bronx, but it was tiny. Um, During the pandemic, the city started to put refrigerated dead bodies in the park closest to us, so it was like a disaster when you had those few moments where you could actually go outside seeing trucks of dead bodies. And then just the health disparities, right? Like all those trucks that were going by and all of the noise. And we just wanted something where our son could thrive Mm -hmm. and where our son could know that the outdoors was for him, where he could feel comfortable doing all the things, you know, hiking, fishing, whatever he wants to do, um, that he could feel connected to that and know that it's really his birthright. I miss Harlem, I miss our friends, I miss our community. But there's no doubt that for our environmental health, this is a it's a better place for us. And it's beautiful.
1: How would it have changed? Like what do you think how would your life have been different had you like moved did this move like earlier when you were younger?
0: Um wow. I think I would have like been kicking and screaming and been like, hell no, I will, hell no, we won't go <laughs> because I think, I mean, I know that New York is the reason why I'm successful and I, you know, I feel successful is because of growing up and being in New York, right? Like, I think it taught me so much about myself. It definitely taught me how to be confident in myself, um, how to advocate for myself and for other people. and being in such a racially diverse, ethnically diverse, economically diverse place, like you really get to see how many people live. And I think that's one of the the downfalls of where we live in Washington state, um, that there isn't a lot of that diversity, right? So um, it's actually prompted me to seek out those people who are are racially diverse doing good work here. But Mm. I definitely, I needed to be, I needed to grow up in New York.
1: And then speaking about, you know, being younger, so your parents, Mm um your dad was born in in haiti Mm. your mom from colombia and so they were big like history buffs Mm -hmm. so how was that like growing up for you can you share a little bit like what they really one what they taught you and kind of imprinted on you in terms of your childhood and growing up
0: Mm. so my parents were really Um, focus on our education. I I remember every Saturday and Sunday coming down the stairs and they would be on their couch and they'd be reading books, talking about world affairs, Um, the dinner table. History was always a part of the conversation and something that I I still remember my father saying is that you know what's in the books, history books, are not truth. Just because you read it in a book doesn't mean it's the truth (laughs) because (laughs) Which Often, is crazy. <laughs> yeah, right. The people who write the books are the ones most times with the most power, the most access. So they get to tell their story, but that story is incomplete. He embedded in me from a young age this search for other stories, other truths. And then my mom, who's an anthropologist, sociologist, always cautioned me to be skeptical and to consider things from other perspectives. So all of that like now when I see myself I'm like wow of course I'm like the exact person my parents prepared me to be you know
1: and your dad wasn't just from any island he was from Haiti right which, which has is, rich history yeah
0: right arguably the most important country in the world <laughs> because they established the idea of international human rights what would you say was your reason for wanting to leave the Bronx? Like what was it about Seattle?
1: Um, I think by that time we've been in, we both have been in New York for a long time. And I was just, I personally was just ready for a change. I feel like we had outgrown um, a lot of things in New York City, right? And the only way you can kind of change that. Like partying. Well, partying being one of them, yeah. Obviously, we were getting older. But yeah, we had a son. And I think that was the biggest thing, because it was really all about Corey and like having space for him. Yeah, you know, when I think
0: about Corey in particular, growing up, and it's not something I received from my parents. I don't know where I received this message, but that certain things were like white people stuff, and black people didn't do certain things. And what I realize now as an adult is that one, those sayings really are a reflection of what people have access to and where people feel welcomed or uninvited, right? So things that we often say are white people's stuff like marathons, skiing, really any and everything in the outdoors. And one, that's a reflection of, well, who had access to the outdoors, right? Like in this country, Jim Crow segregation, national parks were segregated. Black people couldn't go to them, right? If you think about like redlining, You think about creation of the inner city. You think about limited um, job opportunities. All of those things impact the amount of money you have, the amount of free time you have. So really stuff that's white people's stuff is stuff that was out of reach for us. I also think about, well, what were the dangers associated with going outdoors, right? Mm -hmm. Like lynching was something that was practiced until really the the 70s, right? Yeah. Um, so, going into the outdoors came with risks, therefore, it's almost like we built this story as a protection, like, we don't do that stuff. Um, really the end of that sentence is because we could get killed for doing it, you know, exactly. like even Ahmaud Arbery going out for a run. Ahmaud Arbery, he was a black man, he was attacked while he was out jogging in a white neighborhood. Arbery's mother says her son was just out for a jog. I mean, he was, he
1: just was a good boy. Everyone who conspires uh, to hunt and kill Ahmaud Arbery uh, can, be go, can go to jail. As the life. jury determined that the three men violated Arbery's civil rights and targeted him because he was Black. Mm.
0: I mean, all that to say, I hope that Corey grows up confident and that the world also changes, that with more representation, with more people building community and creating space for us, you know, he realizes that black people do all things too.
1: Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, it's just literally like, like people see us, you could walk in a room and everybody would like turn their heads just because Mm. they haven't seen somebody like you before. Mm -hmm. So yeah, and so now that we're in the Pacific Northwest, like how has that been so far, the transition, right? Mm.
0: Yeah, I Um, remember when we first got here, granted it was during COVID, January, mm -hmm. 2021, but I remember we were staying in downtown Seattle and I was like, is this a joke? I was like, this place is so tiny (laughs) Um, and there's nobody here. And again, it was during COVID, but that initial there was initial like real culture shock. Mm -hmm. Um, And now we live like outside of Seattle and it's night and day from where we lived. But I think the biggest thing for me was right away finding community and running was a part of that. So connecting with CSRD Club Seattle Runners Division um, also known as CSRD, if you've actually never heard it all the way spelled out. Um, immediately put us in a space where there were people like us doing things like us, Mm -hmm. um, being really intentional about, okay, well, where are the black people? Where are the indigenous people? Mm -hmm. Where are the people of color just like us? Like they've got to be here. Maybe there's not as many of them. Mm -hmm. And I think that intentionality is not something that you have to do in New York, but doing it here allowed me to really Find my people right away. Mm.
1: And can you touch on that piece? It's like, like, cause you you started so many like communities and mm. groups, right? What was that lens that I guess that you were kind of viewing your experience here in terms of how to move? Um, because you have built communities, so people mm. would normally like, why wouldn't you just build something here, mm. right? Mm-hmm. So what can you touch on that? Why did you just want to kind of tap into a community as opposed mm. to building your own?
0: Yeah, I you know I wanted to be really mindful in moving here that. I'm not from here. I don't want to step on any toes. But more than that, I don't want to create something that would be pulling from communities that already exist, right? Like I wanted to strengthen and empower and uphold communities and not take away from it. And there's so many people here doing incredible things. So I was like, okay, with my platform, with um, my interest and excitement in being community, how can I be useful? Mm -hmm. And I found that supporting different groups, and also providing opportunities to bring groups together. Because that's something that um, we didn't really get that much of a chance to do in Harlem. Like when you have your own group, community, you're so busy as you should be, right? So as this outsider, I was like, okay, well, what are ways that I can use my time and energy to bring groups together? Um, to show our collective power. Mm. That's what's been really cool. Like I get, to, I get to see all of these people doing dope things and champion them. And then also um, use the time that I have to say, well, like how can we all work together on this and make a bigger impact? And that's been really cool. Yeah. It'll Also, you know, we hear a lot about the Seattle freeze and there are definitely some icy people out here. <laughs> but
1: I feel like I've found my place. Mm. and what is the seattle freeze since you brought that up oh man yeah.
0: people <laughs> you never know where you stand right like you meet people and they're like hi <laughs> they're, like, they're you know in new york like if somebody doesn't like you you know yeah and if somebody likes you you also know mm-hmm. um here it's just like i prefer aggression aggression to passive aggressiveness mm. yeah. yeah so we're warming the freeze <laughs>
1: a good thing so can you uh, tell us a little bit about how we met
0: just a little bit
1: oh you know the whole story (laughs) (laughs) so I'll tell
0: my version because it's the fuller version than you ever tell it Um, so I started running in 2012 after going through a period of depression and um, I saw that a friend of mine was training for a marathon and he was this black guy who didn't fit, in my mind, the like what it looked like to be a long distance runner. So I followed his journey, asked him a bunch of questions, and the next year I decided I wanted to do the same thing because it was changing his life. Running that marathon changed my life and I decided I wanted to start a running community in Harlem. Uh, where I was living, where my parents had lived, uh, particularly because I hadn't seen a lot of black people in races, right? I would show up to races, show up to running events, and it was mostly white. And I felt like, okay, there's there must be other black people who run and there must be other black people who would get the same kind of mental and physical benefits from running. So I started Harlem Run in November of 2013 on a very, very cold day and nobody showed up for months and months and months until I uh, started stalking this person on Instagram. They were using, I was using the hashtag Harlem Run. They were using the hashtag We Run Harlem. And I reached out to them and asked them if I could come to a run. I did. They were hosting runs every third Sunday at their church. And this person was super rude the first time I met them. (laughs) He actually ran really fast and left me behind. Um, and then he started coming to my run. And that person is now my husband. <laughs> it is you I am talking about. Um, but it's it was really, um, you know, I never expected that Harlem Run would become what it was, right? Like, I think we just knew that we wanted to get people moving. That we wanted to create a space where it didn't matter if you were super fast and um, had been running for years or whether you wanted to come up and walk for your very first time. And I think the most special piece about what we built is that it's intergenerational. So you can have a grandkid coming with their grandmother, um, you know, strangers who then end up falling in love and getting married.
1: I remember the transition, because like obviously, you know, a lot of what we was doing was road running, right? But then there was a there was this moment where we started to go out to the trails more, right? And then we started, uh, you know, doing more trail running. But then the other type of person who like puts people on, right? Mm. And so I remember that moment when you encouraged a lot of us to get um, trained as outdoor guides. Mm. And so it was like, what was it, three, four of us that Mm. got trained as outdoor guides. Um, and I think that was something that really pushed us even more into the outdoors. Um, because, what was that event we did? Uh, the winter snowshoeing experience, right. yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, it's almost like like as we experienced personal growth, <laughs> Harlem run came with mm. us, right? So we started off just being road runner people. And then as we learned more and more about things, that one could do, we figured out ways to make it accessible. And Mm -hmm. what I love about you being woofer certified and another woman, like she now has her own business, right? Where she creates outdoor tours. Mm -hmm. And so I see Harlem Run, you know, it's about running, but really it's about um, catalyzing change, right? Mm -hmm. So whether that's personal transformation or social change, right? Um, Harlem Run is the place where you get inspired to do that. And so people have done really amazing things in the outdoors. People have also, you know, we've collectively raised hundreds of thousands of dollars for different nonprofits. And that's just really cool to be part of it. And now to be like away from it and see that it's still thriving, you know?
1: Yeah, people see us and, The question is always like, what are y'all running from, right? Why do black people have to be running from something, Mm. right? There's so much
0: more to the story, so keep listening. This episode is presented by Fleet Feet. Fleet Feet believes that running changes everything. We sell the shoes, apparel, and gear you need to get started. And we host fun runs, training groups, and events. Whether you're training for your first mile or your 50th marathon, we're here to run with you. Learn more at FleetFeet.com. Running and reclaiming the outdoors as our space has been the most powerful force in my life, right? Like, literally before I started running and getting outside of my house, I was depressed and contemplating suicide. And running not only connected me with a better version of myself or an old version of myself that I'd lost, it connected me with community, And I always want to try and experience new things. And that's what the reclaiming is for me. Like reclaiming like, oh, you know what? That's mine too. That's mine too. Like nobody can tell me that these spaces or these things are not for me. And that's just such a gift. Like you feel more embodied. You feel like you can show up as a fuller version of yourself. That's, um, yeah,
1: running and the outdoors has given me all of that. What about you? You me a lot. Um, you know, for me, it's always been like that mindfulness piece. Mm. Yeah, because I just feel like I always have my mind is like running a million times. Uh, it's hard to like just take a break. So when you're in the outdoors, like you're forced to pause and be aware of everything that's going on. So
0: And you go outdoors for a long time. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like my, between your ultra marathons and, you know, six day trail events.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's the beauty of it.
0: You know, what you're talking about also, I think about is the appreciation that we have for nature. Like, I think not like, I don't think we are in a crisis with the environment. And I think a lot of it is rooted in a disconnection from place and a lack of understanding of um, how important our natural environment is Mm -hmm. and some of it is because people don't know any better some of it is because people feel like nature is there to be conquered right so Mm -hmm. i also think about the importance of indigenous voices and indigenous ways of being and knowing to guide how i exist in nature right like these mountains are not for us to conquer right um these mountains are for us to be in community with i know that you've been working with the snoqualmie tribe Mm -hmm. um which is just i feel really lucky to be able to make
1: these relationships i love that they pointed this out like recently like it's not just a land acknowledgement right Mm -hmm. but what connections are you making to the local community Mm -hmm. or if there's one not near to you like from afar right Mm. or whatever whatever which one is the closest to you Mm. um and so it's something i think that they're doing that i hope you know can uh, be replicated everywhere you know because it's all about the connections and the communities that Mm. we're creating because a lot of people experience outdoors and don't make that connection Mm. to indigenous people and indigenous communities and Mm. cultures um and it's so important But so in New York, you've built communities, uh, really created spaces for people to be leaders um, and to kind of continue your work and also see themselves in the work. So how is that uh, continuing here? As you mentioned,
0: I really like to put people on, right? So in the position that I'm in, I really see myself as somebody who's an advocate, a champion, somebody who wants to use my platform to support other people. And that's really what I see my role as here. I love to be in a position where what I'm doing, the work that I'm doing, has a greater benefit. Like, I don't really like, I mean, I like getting paid, right? (laughs) But money is not the thing that drives me. It's really community building and supporting and representation, this bigger goal of like, how can we shift the world and the way that the world sees us? So ultimately when our son is in this world as, a, as an independent person, he doesn't face some of the struggles that we do. When I think about this show and the work that I'm doing specifically here and you know, meeting with black and brown folks who are fishing and kayaking and hiking and making it clear that black and brown people do all these things, my ultimate hope is that by the time that Corey is doing these things, it's just mundane, right? Like, we're not even surprised. Nobody's surprised. Nobody is alarmed. Nobody even cares, right? <laughs> like, he's just another person enjoying his life. Um, so that's what's really, you know, I guess there is a selfish piece in this. Like, I want to support all these people selfishly for Corey, but ultimately for all of us.
1: See, it's cool, like, one, being like the first episode of your series, but what are some of... Uh I guess the goals that you have personally mm-hmm. come up with, like, a lot of the other interviews that you, that you plan on having.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, one of my big goals is that this season is so good, we get another season. <laughs> <laughs> because there are so many incredible people who I've been meeting so far, and there are so many more that I want to talk with and meet with. Um, I'm really excited because I also get to explore along with the audience. There are things that I never dreamed of doing, like fly fishing or going kayaking on a lake or farming. I get to be personally transformed, and then I get to introduce the world to these people who are so incredible that everybody needs to know about. I can't wait to see all the other episodes. (laughs) (laughs) I'm on the road a lot filming this. Mm -hmm. Do you have any advice for me? Do you have any mm. things you're scared or
1: nervous or excited about that you might see on this episode, on this series? No, I think, uh, I'm really, well, one, I'm really excited that uh, you can, like, pursue this because, one, like, this is something that you really love to do and, and you really just take it all in and mm. uh, really, one, enjoy it because you don't often get to do stuff like this. Mm. And, um, yeah, just enjoy the ride and... Uh, And every person that you experience it with, do you have like hopes for everybody tuning in Mm -hmm. and the audience at large? Mm -hmm.
0: I hope that this show really has the effect of humanizing people. right? Mm -hmm. Like this show will um, expose viewers to people in some cases who are just like them, people who they've never seen before activities that maybe they've done or that they've never considered or that they said, like, whoa, that is not for me. I hope that through each of the people who I showcase on the show, the audience recognizes, like, oh, that person's not so different from me or, oh, that's not completely out of reach or I could imagine myself doing that or trying that. So I hope the whole thing is humanizing, that the representation really launches a whole new... Generation of outdoors people like everybody finishes this show and is like yeah, I could do that (laughs) Right now we are on the way to a trail not too far from my house Um, I love it because it is like 20 minutes away But when you get there you feel like you're deep in the backcountry and I always find that Running through the trails, this trail in particular, gives me an opportunity to feel connected to something, but also like really small. Sometimes your life or your problems seem so big and unmanageable, and then you get into the trail and you realize just how tiny you are and um, how little it matters, honestly. And that's what I really love about being able to come and run and I hike here. I would prefer to do this more by myself, but there's always the concern of could something happen to me by myself on the trail, so only when I'm feeling particularly confident do I go by myself. Very early on in my running journey, this mantra came into my head, find meaning on the run or meaning through movement, and it really explains what the run does for me. It allows me to process things. It allows me to get in touch with parts of myself, solve problems. Um, Running really uh, brings meaning. Every run for me is different in that sometimes I'm out to solve a problem, right? Like I have a problem on my mind, an issue that I'm dealing with and the run helps me solve it. Other times the run allows me to feel connected to something that's bigger than myself. Um, Other times I don't think about anything at all. I sort of get into a zone and the movement allows me to almost get into a meditative space. So all of these things are possibilities and that's also part of the joy in running because it can offer you so much and oftentimes exactly what you need without knowing you needed it. If you want to continue adventuring with me and dive deeper into this story, check out the show notes. There, you'll find links to the video series and an article I wrote about the themes of this episode. This podcast is hosted and reported by Allison Mariella Dezier. That's me. My producer is Brooklyn Jamerson Flowers. The executive producer is Mark Baumgarten. Audio production from Bryce Y. Adolfsson and Sarah E. Hall. And audio support from Rusty Bogal and Seth Halloran. You can subscribe to Out and Back wherever you listen. And if you like the show, please review us. It helps create excitement around a new show. And if you'd like to support the work we do at Crosscut, go to crosscut.com slash memberships. In addition to supporting our journalism, members receive complete access to on-demand programming from KCTS 9, Seattle's PBS station. For the latest political, environmental, and culture news from the Pacific Northwest, visit Crosscut.com. Out and Back is a product of Cascade Public Media. Next time, we're hanging out with a run club that helped me find my place in the Pacific Northwest.